0: Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Let's Read the Bible, a podcast where we take a deep dive into biblical topics in a way that's also easy to understand. If you'd like to follow along, you can download the YouVersion Bible app and subscribe to the 49-week challenge reading plan. We also have physical reading plans available in the lobby every Sunday.
1: And we would love for you as you're listening along and reading along, if you've got questions, to send them in because we like to take time uh, on a weekly basis now. Uh, to answer those questions for you, you can send those questions into info at grove.church an email, or you can direct message our Grove Church Facebook page. Uh, just make sure you look up Grove Church Washington uh, in Marysville or Snohomish, because there's more than one Grove Church out there. In case you didn't know. Exactly.
0: With that being said, let's go ahead and dive It'd be cool in. Cool
1: for you, the only one though.
0: That, that would be nice. <laughs> but yes, we're going to dive in today. Yeah, this week we are starting off a brand new thing that we've never done before, and that is a character study. Yep, so focus on one person. Yep. If you remember. Uh, at the beginning of the year, we talked about doing a couple book studies and mm-hmm. then doing a character study and then doing a thematic study every month. And then we have special topics lined up for those the fifth, the fifth Sundays, months. which is actually next February
1: as a fifth Sunday, I believe. Oh, it does because it's a leap year. So, there so you every go. day in February, we're supposed to take a leap somewhere.
0: And here's the deal. it's required
1: uh, by February law.
0: Just as a teaser one of the things that we're talking about today kind of hints at what we're talking about on that fifth Sunday. So if you can figure it out,
1: Evan will buy you a coffee. There you go. And he'll sit down and drink coffee with you. Boom. And he doesn't like coffee, which is why that's awesome. It's true. I'll probably get a tea.
0: Uh, so the research, the resources that we're using today, will be the ESV Study Bible, as always, and then a couple other resources are the Zondervan uh, Illustrated Bible Dictionary by Douglas Tenney and Silva.
1: Zondervan.
0: Zondervan. 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 Oh. Is that what oh. you said? Zondervan. I don't know. In a
1: van down,
0: anyways. In a van down by the river. <laughs> the joke. Baker Encyclopedia of Bible People <laughs> by Mark Water and uh, the new. New Testament in its world by N.T. Wright. This is a
1: newer book that we were both really excited about getting oh, for it was this awesome. podcast. So,
0: so I've been we've been working our way through it. Just kind of, it's a it's a thick monster. It's not just
1: thick, but it's really heavy. Yeah, not in weight, but in words. Oh yeah, it's um, it's dense. I told Evan, told total transparency that he needs to read it and decipher it for me because his comprehension level is like sixteen stories above mine. But it's so it's he's just smart.
0: It's a hard read, but it's a really good read. Yes.
1: Um, and then
0: N.T. Wright is a brilliant man. Coincidentally. Uh, I was actually just reading right before I went to do my notes. This is a few days ago now. Um, the book actually talked a lot about John the Baptist. And I was like, oh, this is awesome. So good things to know. Uh, awesome. Anyway, so let's go ahead and uh, we'll just get started. We'll kind of tell the story about uh, of John the Baptist. It kind of breaks down into uh, his birth, uh, which was also a supernatural mm-hmm. birth. Um, and then we'll get into his life in ministry, um his eventual death. And then we'll talk uh, a little bit about John's legacy and then get into this week, we actually have two questions that came in. Yeah. So, and
1: just to and just a uh, qualifier here. this is the, being that it's a new kind of aspect to our podcast, you might hear it and see it evolve and adapt over the course of the the next several months as we continue to do this podcast. But we just we just want to try and be intentional about highlighting specific things and specific people uh, that are worth highlighting uh, this year. So, I uh, hope you. I hope you enjoy it. If you don't enjoy it, don't tell us that. Still give us a five star review. Later, yeah, please. five stars <laughs> is always great. It makes me feel better about my life.
0: All right. So birth. So John's parents were both Levites. Uh, so and their names were Zachariah and Elizabeth. Um, and from what we know, Zachariah was a local priest. Um, in his community. And then the way things work- Which is what the Levites were. Levites
1: were uh, more of the priestlyhood or priestlyhood, priesthood that would take care of the tabernacle and the temple.
0: And if you look in, um, like if you have maps in your Bible, you'll notice when it allots land to the 12 tribes of Israel- The Levites don't get one. Yeah, the Levites don't have land because their inheritance, rather than being a section of Israel, um, was the priesthood itself because it was considered Mm -hmm. a great honor uh, to be a part of the priesthood. So um, at this time, the way that- priesthood worked is it was divided into, I can't remember, I think it was 26 uh, different divisions, but don't quote me on that number because I don't remember. Um, You're brilliant. I was reading it and then I forgot, Uh, but they're broken down into different divisions and then they would rotate uh, into Jerusalem to serve at the actual temple. And so uh,
1: most of the time these priests would be- Like regional directors on the move constantly. Most
0: of these times these priests would be in their local communities and then they would rotate into uh, Jerusalem. So- It's kind
1: of brilliant if you think about that.
0: Yeah. It works out pretty well. <laughs> Before business became business,
1: God's word has already established
0: it. <laughs> and then uh, our story picks up while Zachariah's division is serving in Jerusalem. Um, And an angel appears to Zechariah, which is significant uh, Mm -hmm. because this will be the first word from God since the prophet Malachi about 400 years before. Um, And so that's not to say that God has not been active. It's not like God just kind of backed off and all of a sudden. Yeah. He's still present. Yeah, he's still working in his people. um, But as far as, you know, canonical God speaking scripture this is really the start of it.
1: Yeah. Um, and then obviously Jesus is gonna be the culmination. of It's been, it's of been that referred start. to those 400 years, like the 400 years of silence, not that God was totally silent, but there's not uh, accounts of God speaking through his prophets or to his people as vividly and boldly as we've seen throughout the Old Testament. Yeah, exactly.
0: Uh, So if we're going to go ahead and read Luke one verses eight through 23 here, and this kind of just gives us the story of the, uh, the announcement of John's birth. So it says now, while he, that being Zachariah was serving as a priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the customs of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of people were praying outside the house of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him and fear fell upon him. But the angel said, do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard and your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son and you shall call his name John. I'm going to pause there for a second because mm-hmm. we totally forgot to mention uh, they're old and Elizabeth is
1: barren. <laughs> That's kind of an important thing. Uh, yeah, they're yeah they're old. They're yeah. beyond childbearing years. Yeah. And so and she was barren.
0: Yeah. It's, and and, and it's, Today, like that is a really tragic thing when a couple mm-hmm. wants to have children and they're not able to. Um, back then it was it more so is kind of a weird way to say it, but there was there was other expectations. There's a bigger I social guess.
1: stigma that went with someone who was barren.
0: A bigger social stigma. And then also there's just um you know, there there also was expectation that, you know, when your children would take care of you when you get old. Um, which up until recently was an expectation of all children for their parents. I think it's it's more of a modern invention that um seniors would be more independent and things like that. Yeah. So um, the, right. yeah, the idea of having children, it's a, it's a social shame on, uh, particularly Elizabeth, which is a bummer, but that's just kind of the way the culture was at that point. And then also yeah,
1: women were the ones that were blamed for not being able to have kids. Yeah. It had nothing to do with the men It had everything to do with women, which again, just shows you the, 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 the difference in perspective well, yeah, and yeah. And also just medical understanding of, you know, what causes cause it. So guys you, are always not the problem. Never just <laughs> sarcasm first off. But yeah, it just, I mean, it's the social, social clout that we see.
0: So there you go. Uh, so picking back up, uh, and so it says, uh, do not be afraid Zachariah for your prayer has been heard and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you will call his name John and you will have joy and gladness and many will rejoice at his birth for he will, he will be great before the Lord and he must not drink wine or strong drink and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel before the, uh, To the Lord their God, and he will go before him in spirit and in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the father of fathers to their children and the disobedient to wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord uh, to make ready for the Lord a prepared people. And Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news and behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. And the people who were waiting for Zachariah, uh, Oh, and the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they wondered at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them. And they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple and he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when his time of service was ended, he went
1: to his home. It's the first account of biblical charades we've ever recorded. There you important. go.
0: Uh So there you go. Yeah. That's a little bit of uh the story of John's pronounce. I do love the uh, Gabriel sass, I guess, if you want to call it, but <laughs> yeah, just right? like, how is this going to be? And Gabriel's like, I stand in the presence of the Lord and I was sitting here like, to yeah. like,
1: well, it's interesting up. too, because if, I, if I, my memory serves me correct, there's not very many times that an, an angel identifies himself. Uh, and in this instance specifically, Gabriel says, this is who I am. Uh, I mean, you've got, you hear about Michael and different other angels. I think that Michael and named. Gabriel,
0: are the only ones who are ever but,
1: named yeah. other than that, it's just, so nobody's. there you
0: go. And I think it, do, it does show too that, um, you know, for the most part, like angels aren't. Uh, it's not about them, yeah. and so I do think most of the time it is specifically just an angel of the Lord because it's not about who the angel is; it's about the message that they have yeah. uh, for God. Yeah, but yeah. Uh, Gabriel obviously plays a very important role in uh, the <laughs> coming he was named. in the
1: coming announcements. It was interesting too when um, he was in there for a while, and everyone started wondering uh, where what his delay was in verse twenty one, uh, and it's and it makes me kind of think about. There, there is always this stigma when you go into the the, the temple. At that point, um, that there's potential for them to to enter and and die, right? Uh, because they may not be righteous or holy before the Lord. And so, when you enter in the uh, in, in his, his temple, there's there's a requirement to be holy, and that's why there's sacrifices and different things made and requirements. So, um, so they were just there. Could have been that curiosity, like, is he going to make it? Like, did he survive? What's taking him so long? Um, and so there's just different thoughts and different moments that stand out in scripture about that sort of stuff. So, but he survived. He just couldn't speak when he came out. So there you go. Uh, and then it's interesting that Zachariah is kind of like,
0: well, how's this going to be? I'm really old. And then God's reaction is just kind of like, well, you, you don't get to talk now for nine months. So yep. we'll spoil silent, nine, nine you. nine months. So, uh, Zachariah goes mute and then. He returns home uh, and then at, at some point after that, uh, Elizabeth becomes pregnant. And mm-hmm. so, uh, and it's really interesting because she is a relative of Mary. And so when Mary becomes pregnant She's with a cousin, right? No cousins, some type of a cousin. It's I not a first cousin or anything. I think
1: Jesus and John are cousins. Why didn't I look this up? I forgot. But, Anyways, yeah. they're related as
0: well. Yeah. The Bible doesn't super specify how they're related, but they're co- they're cousins of some sort. Um, and they're close enough that Mary is aware of her because yeah. uh, when uh, she is pregnant with Jesus, she's actually prompted to go and visit your, uh, She says, go to visit your relative Elizabeth. Mm-hmm. So she goes um, at this point, I think John is about six months old yeah, uh, inside months of, apart. yeah, inside of uh, Elizabeth and Jesus. And the angel born. Lord
1: tells Mary to go visit. Right. Elizabeth, because she's pregnant with her child as well. That's what the angel says to Mary. Mm-hmm. So, and she, uh, oh, sorry, no, no, that was just she was excited. I think that's part of where, like she kind of went excitedly to go visit Elizabeth because of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was part of the reason why she left, but
0: and when uh, when Mary goes, uh, it said Elizabeth says that her child leaps within her womb, and so even uh, within. Uh, even within the womb, uh, John is filled with the Holy Spirit and is is aware of kind of what's what's coming, what's happening. And Jesus and John really are, um, they're tied together. Yeah, they and are. And so, um, not so much in like d- fate or destiny, although I guess you could argue that they they yep, were in they that way too. <laughs> that I would way argue too. That. So there you go, uh, John and Jesus. Even though we don't see them together very much in the gospels are very much connected um, and eventually john is born so we have a passage there uh, which is luke 1 57 through 66
1: aaron would you like to read that i don't know that? how to read no i'm just kidding yeah it says this uh now the time came for elizabeth to give birth and she bore a son and her neighbors and relatives heard that the lord had shown great mercy to her and they rejoiced with her which fulfills the prophecy uh upon that was given to Zechariah. it says on the eighth day they came to circumcise the child and they would have uh, and they would have called him Zachariah after his father, but his mother answered, no, he shall be called John. Uh, just real quick, customary was to name uh, your son after you or the father got to select the names in all, in all respects. So you're gonna right. see this exchange here uh, and, it, and it highlights that uh, cultural thing, the nuance there. Uh, it says this again, his mother answered, no, he shall be called John. And they said to her, none of your relatives is called by this name. And they made signs to his father inquiring what he wanted him to be called. And he asked for a writing tablet, this is Zechariah, and he wrote, his name is John, and they all wondered, uh, which is a peculiar way to say it. They all, I think they were all caught off guard. There was a little bit of shock, like who the heck is this John fellow? Uh, And it says, and immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed and he spoke blessing, uh, he spoke blessing God. And fear came on all the neighbors and all these things were talked about through all the hill country of Judea and all who heard them laid up in their hearts saying, what then will this child be for the hand of the Lord was on him?
0: Yeah. So there's a lot of, there's a lot of miracles, res- uh, corresponding to John's birth. To John, yeah. Yep. So obviously the way he's conceived, uh, God works a miracle, uh, in both Zachariah and Elizabeth to make sure that that happens. Uh, we see from the very beginning that he's filled with the Holy spirit. And then here, um, when everyone's kind of saying like, well, no, like stick with the normal naming conventions of your children, uh, Zachariah kind of puts his foot down and it's like, no, God said, John, we're going with John. So then then he writes
1: it. I mean, it's, it's even a statement of faith on Zechariah's part to take the tablet and to write his name is John. Um, because again, there is no family name. There's no family. Nobody in the family has the name John, which would be so foreign. Um, so I'm trying to think of a way to relate it today, but it doesn't make sense because we take names from all over the place. Yeah. And I mean, yeah, John wasn't necessarily
0: like foreign to, uh, Israel as a whole. No, Um, just, just to the family. family. So there you go. Uh, much like Jesus, uh, we don't get very much info about what. John was doing between his birth and the start of his ministry. It's peculiar, yeah. No, I'm just kidding. So I Jesus, think it's a
1: cultural thing, isn't it? Could be. Um, I mean, with Jesus, we yeah, we get in the one story
0: of him being like twelve and then going into the temple, but that's pretty much it. Uh, with John, we don't get anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, we know that uh, he takes a Nazarite vow. Uh, if you remember from the passage we read, it says you will uh, yes, not you drink, don't drink wine. Yeah, you don't or drink or wine. Don't cut your you hair. Grow your hair, all that stuff.
1: Samson, if you don't root. touch anything dead. Yep. So uh, pretty much, read the story of Samson and Judges. And everything Samson did in his in his growing up was what a Nazarite was not supposed to do. So.
0: <laughs> there's some truth to that as well. Um, and then we don't know when, uh, but John goes to live in the desert. Um, and one of the interesting things I saw when I was kind of just reading through it is there's some speculation that he was um, an ASEAN, um, which... I, I wouldn't expect too many people to know what that is, but it, it was really interesting because- it was, use that word all the time. It was in, no, it was in the uh, the New Testament, it's world that I was reading. So that's where I kind of like, oh, this is how it connects. Um, but after, um, so Jerusalem is destroyed. Uh, Babylon comes in, uh, not fully destroyed, but obviously the people are taken. And then when they start to come back, um, there's a lot of questions about how, the religion of Judaism is going to go Hmm. forward because obviously so much of it rested on there's a King in Israel. um, And now that's not the case. And so that's where you get some of the different factions. And so the Sadducees, uh, which you'll see a lot in the gospels, um, they were very politically active. Um, And so the Romans really dug them. Um, They were kind of in the, in the, I'm trying to say they, they wanted to balance out Roman culture with Jewish culture um, and kind of bring it together and mm-hmm. just kind of keep the status quo. Uh, the Pharisees uh, were not that way, which is kind of interesting because when you hear when you see in in the gospels, the Pharisees and the Sadducees are always against Jesus, they really don't like each other. No, they um, don't. They're united against the that enemy they of my is both of our enemies. There so. you go. Um, but yeah, the Pharisees and the Sadducees are both united in their hatred of Jesus. Um mm-hmm. but the Pharisees were very where the Sadducees kind of tried to blend um and maybe like kind of accept more of different cultures. The Pharisees were very like no, we are we are Jewish. Um we're making even more rules and we're sticking to them and they that's They were kind committed, of, man. Yeah, and they were very much um Uh, the party, party's a weird word, but you know, the party of the people. So the common people really identified with the Pharisees, the more elite in the power identified with the Sadducees. And then there was a group called the Essenes and they just kind of were like, peace them out. And so they left uh, Jerusalem. They They left the hippies. Yeah. They left the cities. um, John was
1: a hippie.
0: Well, yeah, kind of, I guess.
1: I'm just kidding. We don't know if he was or not.
0: Um, But what, what's interesting, and this is why there's speculation, is that they would go um, and they would cre- create um, communities in the desert and mm-hmm. then they would have small cities. So like if you know, Qumran would be one of them, which is where we get the Dead Sea Scrolls and yep. things like that. Which
1: we'll talk about at a different time.
0: Yeah. And uh, there's speculation that maybe John was actually one of these Jews who kind of withdrew away um, and then lived in one of those communities and came
1: back. Interesting. So, I I didn't read that. Yeah. I so I'll have to reread that and see, but it was yeah, it
0: was just an it's interesting, interesting. Yeah, it was an sure. interesting thought. Um like I said, really open-handed thing was John and yeah, who knows? who knows. So, but, but it's just kind of an interesting thing to think about.
1: He definitely was in the desert, we know that. Yep. He definitely wore camel skin and ate locust and honey.
0: And then the Assyrians were very much noted um that they didn't want um they didn't they, they they thought the way that the temple was being run was bad. They thought the priests were corrupt, they thought the new kings were corrupt, and so this could kind of explain why which um they were. Yeah, well, that's true. <laughs> so they they in hindsight, out in hindsight yeah. we know that they were. But. Uh, but this could explain why Herod Antipas hated John so yeah, much. Yeah, for sure. Um which is other things that we'll talk about why he would hate John, but that could be a reason why he was predisposed um to not care for him. Uh, so sometime around uh the year AD 26 through 29 uh, which I think most people date it to 26, but there's a, I don't know, it's an argument for 29, but really who who cares? Uh, sometime in that block of time, uh, John comes out of the desert and begins his ministry. He declares that the kingdom of God is at hand and that the people needed to repent and be baptized.
1: Which this in and of itself is pretty um, polarizing. It's a pretty like staunch, powerful statement to come out and to start saying the kingdom of God is here because all of the all of the Pharisees would be looking and anticipating, all the Sadducees would be looking and anticipating for the King of God. And they were the ones that supposed to have the rights. They were the ones that were supposed to, the right. were were supposed to know uh, how this was all going to work out. And so for, for John the Baptist to come out of the desert, um, I mean, really wearing camel skin and, and his reputation for, for living in the desert uh really it was really kind of a polarizing statement for him to be saying the things he was saying, to and, be repent and baptized
0: yeah, I should have written down the exchange because I forgot which gospel it's in, but the Pharisees are talking to John, and they're saying you know we're sons of Abraham, like we have we're we're going to inherit the kingdom of god um and then John's whole point kind of of his ministry and and really of um you, you can say uh, again, a big theme of the Old Testament that we kind of talked about with, with when we did Leviticus as well is that God is not just after um ritual obedience. He's really after the hearts of the people. And John's baptism is kind of showing that because um, it's not necessarily like baptism was a thing in Jewish culture, but it definitely was not a main sacrament. Like for us as Christians today, baptism is like the big one. Uh, But for Jewish culture, baptism was just kind of like a thing that happened once in a while. Um, But now it's kind of being elevated. So it's not so much about the ritual itself. It's really about the idea of, of repenting of sins uh, and turning away from them. And so, This is where we get the story. Uh, Jesus is baptized uh, by John. And in that moment, we get this really cool thing where, uh, and we talked about this with our uh, gospel of Matthew a little bit, Uh, but God, the father declares who Jesus is. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And then the Holy spirit descends on Jesus like a dove. So we get this really cool picture of the Trinity Mm -hmm. all together. Um, And what's really interesting is it seems like from reading it, that this is when John fully, comprehends who Jesus is. Um, and so, um, cause I, and, and we made this comment actually with Matthew that like, well, obviously John knows who Jesus is because he doesn't want to baptize him, but there is uh, he makes a comment later in the gospel of John, a lot of Johns, but, there are a uh, lot of Johns. but basically saying something to the effect of, um, I didn't not, I did not know him until now. And so I think John has an idea that him and Jesus are connected, that they're clearly supposed to be doing ministry. Um, I think John has an understanding that he's a prophet and that um, Jesus is probably a prophet as well. But then this is where it kind of gets, I think, fully revealed uh, to John of, of what's of what's happening. So yeah. really cool moment. And then at that moment, uh, that's when Jesus's ministry
1: kind of really kicks in. Yeah, that's uh, when it starts. It's almost what... like the baton's been passed at that point. Yeah. Because and... even some of John's, John the Baptist's followers follow Jesus. This is after John goes in, the Baptist goes in, is imprisoned, but they show up and say, Hey, who are you? Because John, they're asking on behalf of their, their leader, John the Baptist. Um, and so it's just, it's interesting because all of a sudden there's this, this turning point, this handing off of ministry and moving the kingdom of God forward, um, the handing the reins over to Jesus. So. Yeah. And even two of the, uh, the 12 were disciples of John's Mm -hmm. first, because we find out that Andrew and John,
0: the disciple were disciples of John the Baptist. Uh, but, and then when this moment this happens, the beloved disciple. Yeah. We, yeah. So we don't, I guess we don't know for sure. It's John, but come on. Uh, right. <laughs> like, like, yeah, come on. Uh, but at, at that moment, uh, they leave John the Baptist with his blessing, and yeah. then they go and follow Jesus, which is a really cool thing. Uh, and and this is kind of touches on another thing I want to highlight, that John is incredibly humble
1: during his ministry. It's ridiculous to see how humble he is, mm-hmm. like ridiculous how humble he is.
0: In John, uh, the gospel of John 1, 19 to tw- 19 through 28, uh, we get this exchange. Uh, and this is the testimony of John when the Jews, John the Baptist, uh, when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask, who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? He answered, no. And just to clarify, he answered no to being the prophet, not a prophet. So uh, they said to him, who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? And he said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now they had been sent from the Pharisees. They asked him, then why are you baptizing if you are neither Christ nor Elijah nor the prophet? John answered them, I baptize with water, but among you stands one who you do not know. Even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany across the Jordan where John was baptizing. And I love that that last little line where he says, "Uh, even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy Mm -hmm. to untie. Um, and John is, John is very popular. Um, he, he really could have, if he had, if he, if his heart was made of lesser stuff, I guess you could say. He could have made his own mega church. Oh yeah. He could have easily just like taken his people, gone, done his own thing. Um, but he clearly understands what God has asked him to do. He clearly understands, uh, the role that Jesus is going to play and he's completely willing to just kind of step back. Yeah. Um, so he doesn't have a very long ministry, but he does what God has called him to mm-hmm. do. And then Jesus' ministry kicks off.
1: Well, I even love the fact that he says, uh, there's one who stands among you. Like, it's not even like, Hey, someone's coming. There's a future King. There's a future, like, but no, he says there's one among you now, uh, that you don't even know. Um, which is interesting because in that context, you, you know, these re- leaders would have kind of keyed into that a little bit. Uh, but yeah, the humility there. I mean, he even makes a statement. Uh, I think it's in the gospel of John actually, like he must increase referring to Jesus and I must decrease this this humility of it's not about me. And I mean, how many times in ministry have I heard that statement? Like I must decrease, he must increase in me and things like that. So the humility is just off the charts, man. It's incredible. Yeah. One thing I thought about while you were talking that I think is a cool thought is that
0: um, with John really, it shows the prophetic shift from there is one who is coming, which is all the old Testament Mm -hmm. prophets is one day there will be this one who is coming. And John is saying similar things, but he's saying, there's one among you. Yeah. There's one here. He's here.
1: Yeah. It's, it's, and it is that, as Isaiah said, and he referred to Isaiah, like, I'm the one in the wilderness crying out, prepare the way of the Lord. I'm doing that. I've done that. And now it's time. And he was alluding to this handoff coming and stuff like right. that. So, yeah, absolutely.
0: And so, uh, we don't know how long after all of this happens, but it's not very long uh, that Herod Antipas or Antipas, I don't know how you pronounce it, uh, takes John and he throws him into prison. Uh, and so. <laughs> Thank you. And we know that. For sure one of the big motivations is that John had called out uh, Herod's sin and his sin was specifically uh, divorcing his wife and then marrying his brother's wife. yes so not a great guy no. um you know love my brother say i wouldn't, wouldn't, say I'm wouldn't do longer. that so there you go
1: yeah please don't do that.
0: yeah Herod's kind of Herod's kind of a jerk. well, all the Herods are jerks. Well, so true sure. no, not
1: he carries on a name and a lineage of jerks.
0: yep jerk kings uh, but anyways that happens. Uh, And he married, yeah, so he married his brother's wife, which is Herodias. So there you go. Fun fact there. Herod and Herodias. That's cute. Um, And so what is not cute is that eventually uh, at a party, uh, Herodias' daughter is, is
1: she dancing? Is is it just gross. It's always, it's always dancing. She's putting on a show for her, for her father. For her stepdad. Stepdad, whatever, which is kind of her dad now. Uh, dancing provocatively just as they would back in Herod's day. But,
0: I'm telling you, if there's one thing I've learned from reading the Bible it's that nothing good happens when someone's dancing. Cause no. you get
1: Xerxes and that whole thing happens <laughs> yes. and
0: now you get this. Oh. Uh, but anyways, that happens and Herod's, David dance before the Lord. That's true. So some, boom, sometimes roasted. good things
1: happen when people go. Gotcha. You proved you wrong.
0: Um, and it's recorded. Boom. Uh, so anyways, uh, Herod is very like, I guess impressed. It's just, it's just a whole gross situation. Um, and so he tells her like, you yeah, know, I what think would, impressed is the right way to say it. Yeah.
1: But let's just say there's some things that came up in his thought process that would not be there. You go. wonderful to talk about. Uh,
0: and so he tell, tells his stepdaughter, you know, what would you like? Anything, anything that you want? Um, and then she's like, cause she just seems like a delightful girl. Yeah, uh, she's, she's like, so sweet. I would like
1: the head of John the Baptist on a platter. Well, and she runs back to her mom and says, what should I ask for? Right. And her mom, who hates John the Baptist just as much as Herod does. Probably um, even more, because Herod's Herod's
0: pretty uh, hesitant to do it. Well,
1: and John the Baptist wasn't like, Herod Herod had respect for John the Baptist. I think I remember reading um, about Herod. He had respect for the prophets, which is why he never did anything more besides imprison John the Baptist. Right. Uh, now Herod's wife, who was the one who was called out also for the act of marrying Herod, uh, was just disgusted and fuming and mad and angry. And she held the grudge. So when her daughter runs back to her, what should I ask for? She's like, ask for John the Baptist's head on a platter. And so her daughter does That's exactly that.
0: It's funny. It kind of reminds me of and, a, and it. It uh, says that
1: Herod is, is he's upset about it. Yeah. He's like, I just put myself in this position and he's upset about it.
0: It reminds me a little bit of Ahab and Jezebel, um, where, You know, Ahab and Herod, not good kings, um, but you can tell like their wives hate the prophet even more and they're kind of getting tugged into that direction. Um, Again, not an excuse for Herod. Happy wife, happy wife. (laughs) Yeah. Herod was a really, Herod was a really scummy guy, uh, but it's just kind of interesting to see how. Yeah. It's just a matter of like, there's
1: different, different respect for different positions and prophets and things like that. There was something about the divinity and not wanting to anger any, any gods. Um, Right. So yeah, just crazy. So eventually
0: uh, John is beheaded in prison. Uh, there is a story. I, I feel like we should, it's not in the notes, but I feel like we should mention that it, it happens that at some point, um, the disciples of Jesus, of John go and ask Jesus, you know, who are you? And so there, there does seem to be, um, John, this idea of John being discouraged in prison, hmm. which I think is really interesting. There's a couple of different ways to interpret yeah, is, it. Yeah.
1: There's definitely an implication of that. That's one of the potential possibilities of John wondering what's going on.
0: Yeah. And I think John maybe had a different idea of what, um, the kingdom of God being ushered in was going to look like. yeah And, true. S- and I think it's important too, because um you know you, you don't want to cast John as being like this perfect person. So clearly there's, there's something going on where he's um he's obvious he's, he's just struggling with what's happening. Yeah. He a- his disciples go out and ask them. That's one interpretation. The other interpretation For would sure. be that the disciples themselves were curious. Yeah. Um, so we don't
1: really know. Uh, but Jesus does. But rec- then the disciples go back and report back to John the Baptist. Yes. This is the one like, this is our, right. they, they asked Jesus, who are you? And Jesus told him, go back to your, to your, to John and say the, what the eyes, the eyes are open, the, the right. blind or the blind see the lame walk. And in essence, the, the prophetic undertones of a Messiah coming.
0: And I, I do love that Jesus in that moment, um, he, yeah, he quotes Isaiah and he's basically telling John, like, no, I, I am the Messiah. Mm-hmm. This is happening. Here's what's happening. And I, I can only imagine that that must've been a real encouragement to John knowing that, uh, you know, what he did really mattered. Yeah, for sure. So, um, but anyway, sorry. So fast forwarding from that moment, John is beheaded, um, and his disciples would take his body and bury it with reverence.
1: And that is the end of John the Baptist. Mm -hmm. So there you go. Um, it's kind of a crazy story. Yeah. Um, And it's, and I don't think it's ever, I mean, it it speaks to a couple of things. I think first is that you can never anticipate like how, how everything's going to play out. Right. I think, I think that could be part of the the sorrow or the sadness or the, the the concern maybe that john the baptist was feeling um just the uncertainty mm-hmm. uh, and and i'm sure that it didn't play out the way he thought uh, but i'm sure that there was a total trust and confidence in god and who god was and it's just the difference of era too but it definitely is i mean it's not a happy ending for john the baptist even though he was a very faithful very faithful individual to what god has called him to so um but it definitely was interesting too and, and it is a great story i think so
0: yeah so I don't want to end it on a um, sad well, note. Yeah, so we'll but talk a little have bit a happy about. Moment. Yeah, so let's talk about um, John's legacy. Um, and so there's a couple different things I wanted to highlight. First off, and this is something I thought was interesting. Um, and I think this is I was reading in the Zondervan dictionary, and they brought this up, which I thought was cool. Um, But John's impact was felt beyond Israel. Mm -hmm. Uh, And the reason we know this is in Acts chapter 18, I'm just going to read a a quick thing and then we'll know. So a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, uh, came to Ephesus. He was an eloquent man, competent in the scriptures. He had been instructed in the ways of the Lord and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus, though he knew only of the baptism of John. Mm -hmm. So here's a guy, Alexandria is in Egypt. Uh, Ephesus is in Greece. So he's, for, from all we know, he's not in Israel when these things are happening. Yeah.
1: Um, but John's- The, the legacy moved be way beyond Jerusalem.
0: Exactly. And so here we have this guy who's foreign and he's only heard of John and he actually has to have, you know, the Does work of- teach him about Jesus. He, yeah. The work of Christ explained. Yeah. Um, but I also love that it says that he knows things concerning Jesus because of the ministry yeah, of John. I was going to say the same thing. Yep. So it's, yeah, I mean, just really it cool shows legacy. the accuracy of
1: John the Baptist teaching. It shows the, um, the, the alignment of John's teaching uh, that it all pointed to Christ. Yeah, um, And it doesn't just stop. Like, it's not just, he didn't have the gospels. He didn't have the things that we have now. And so it's, it's really cool to see all of these things through John the Baptist teaching that uh, Apollos had such a depth and profound understanding all of right. Jesus, even though he only knew about John the Baptist. So, so that, that speaks volumes. There
0: you go. It should at least. And then this is, uh, I don't know, if I was John, this is what I'd have on my headstone. Uh, right, but this is, <laughs> you frame this on the wall. So this is what Jesus says about John uh, in Matthew chapter 11. It says, uh, as they went away, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing. Behold, those who wear soft clothing are in the king's houses." What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written, behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare the way before you. Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. And so Hmm. it's just a really cool thing because he's kind of saying, First off, uh, what did you go to see? A prophet? yes. Yeah. So he's affirming that John uh, is a prophet. Yeah. He's a part of the, you know, Elijah, Elisha, Isaiah, Jeremiah. He's in that line of people that uh, God gives his word to, to speak. Um, but then he also just has this great line of truly, I say to you, among those born of women, which is, you know, all men, uh, there has arisen <laughs> no one greater than John the Baptist. And it's just the idea of like, you know, John's faithfulness and yeah. really that, you um, from the beginning, like we see Samson uh, rebel from his Nazarite vow and, and John doesn't do that. We see um, a lot of times the prophets kind of being like, I don't want to do what you're calling me. To. You know, next week we're going to talk about Jonah. Uh, and that's yeah. very much the story of, of a prophet who's not on board with God's plan and kind which of has is, to get drunk through Which is through interesting.
1: It. Yeah, we'll get into that next week. That'll yeah. be a fun one.
0: So teaser for next week. Um, but so, and, and all those things are happening. And then I also love that at the very end, he's talking about... Um, John is great. And this is, I want to be careful. What Jesus is not saying here is that John is not a part of the kingdom of God. What he's saying um, is that for all of the works of John, and mm-hmm. all of the things that John has accomplished, being a part of the kingdom of God is even greater. Yeah. And so if you're going um, just based off of accomplishments, John's probably accomplished more than any other uh, man can claim. Um, but Jesus's salvation is still what we require. Yeah, for sure. So there you go. That's, uh, I don't know, Aaron, do you have any last words? No, I think, John? I think
1: the story of John the Baptist is pretty, um, it's one that's easy to pass by cause it's not a huge portion of the new Testament, right? but it is a very foundational piece of the new Testament. So, um, while it didn't end the way, um, I think we would have loved to see it. end, I think the reality is it's, that's normal life. <laughs> I think that's true. Um, as we follow Christ, we have to be able to be locked in on what he has said to us and about us and to do what he's called us to do. And, uh, I think John the Baptist shows that faithfulness. I love, um, Yeah. I just love the comparison that no one is greater than him. And then, but then Jesus qualifies it. Yet the one who's least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. And it talks just about the idea of, are we willing to allow ourselves to take a lowly position to honor Christ and do, uh, because that's what Jesus did. He Mm. put himself in the lowest position. So um, yeah, I think the story of John the Baptist his I mean, his legacy is incredible. It's a foundational piece and, and really important. So, yep. Yeah, it was a good, it was a good character selection. This was Evan's selection. He chose John the Baptist. So did kudos to you, bro. I don't remember what, the <laughs> did, what we did, did the meeting. I'm going to give you props.
0: Boom. All right. So uh, a couple questions. So yes. Q&A time uh, that came in this week. So thank you. I think both these came in on Facebook. So, you know, like we said, Grove hit Church, us up. hit give us a up, thumbs up or info at grove.church. An email, you can send things into either one. We'll see them. Uh, just make sure you specify that's a question for the podcast because otherwise yep. we might not know. Uh, so question one. Uh, In the reading plan, Genesis 32, starting at verse 24, some guy out of the blue appears and starts wrestling with Jacob. Now, if I understand correctly, the man is actually God. If that's the case, why did God start wrestling with Jacob? If I misunderstood, then who is this guy? And again, why is he fighting with Jacob? The whole thing seems very odd and out of place. Um, So it's fight, fight. fight. I I love the way this question is worded, though. It made me laugh. Well done, sir. Um. Okay. So there's there's a couple interesting things about the life of Jacob. Um. Number one, Jacob's name means uh deceiver or trickster. Um. And he's very aptly named. Yeah. Evan so, and I
1: both have a friend named Evan or Jacob that I like to harass and make fun we, of for his name. We'll so. call
0: him deceiver sometimes. Yeah.
1: Shout out Jacob just to you.
0: Um. But so one of the interesting things about the story of Jacob is that really most of the things. In his life, he's gotten by deception. So his birthright mm-hmm. by deception, his father's blessing uh, by deception, his uh, goats and his sheep and the things that he takes from his father-in-law by deception. Yeah. Uh, his first wife was given to him by deception. Yeah. So it's, He got uh, deceived. Yeah. So, you know, f- turnabout, fair play and yeah. all that. Karma. Wait, uh, but <laughs> Not really we don't believe in karma, Aaron. But it's uh, fun to say karma. That's true. Uh, so all these things happen. And then we get this moment where Jesus, not Jesus, Jacob is returning uh, to be with, with Esau. Yeah, to, to be to with be his, brother, his brother, brother yeah, and his brother. The one all, he deceived and stole everything from. Yep. For all he knows, Esau hates him. Um, and he thinks that this could be it. He could be dying tomorrow. And then he sees this guy and we don't know. I, the Bible does not clearly explain why they start wrestling, but yeah. they just, they just do. I don't know, maybe... God took the form of a guy with a really punchable face and Jacob just went for (laughs) it. Who knows? That's hilarious. But uh, anyway, this happens. And my kind of interpretation of it is that um, what you hear is Jacob asking for blessing. So Jacob clearly knows that this is someone who has blessing to offer, right? Mm -hmm. This isn't just some random Joe. Um, I don't think he fully understands that it's God until later. Um, But, while this is happening, he's probably has that in mind, yeah and and I think really one of the the more powerful things about this is you know god uh it says he dislocates his thigh, which I've never his had hip. that his hip mm-hmm. hes
1: yeah, he's I've never he touches had, his hip joint, and he yeah. dislocates his hip while they're wrestling,
0: so. Never had that happen. No, that
1: seems painful. No, um, but yes, Jacob doesn't does. give up.
0: Like, nope. if that you happened on. to me, if so, if I'm wrestling and someone dislocates my hip, I'm out. Uh, but Jacob just kind of keeps rolling with it and then he just keeps crying out. The guy's like, let go. Uh, God's like, let go. And Jacob says, not until you bless me. Yeah. Um, and then it, what, what I find really telling is God's question to him is, What is your name? Uh, mm-hmm. and Jacob answers, My name is Trickster. My name is Deceiver. He, you know, he says his real name, yeah. but that's what the name means. Um, and God's response is to change his name. And we see this happen all the time. If, if we're reading through the gospels, you know, Cephas gets changed. No, Simon gets changed to Peter. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then uh, all throughout the Old Testament, Abram gets changed to Abraham. And Jacob's name gets changed to Israel. And his name goes from being trickster to being prince of God. And so I think it's it's kind of just this idea of Jacob wanting to earn something because he's not deceiving this guy at all. Yeah. There's no deception going on. He's saying, I'm wrestling you until you bless me. I want to earn this thing. And then God's grace and mercy really with Jacob at that moment to, to not just, you know, give him like some blessing and leave, yeah. but really say like, and from this moment, your life has changed. Um, and I forgot what he names the place, but the place is you know, for, he names it because he wrestled with God. Peniel, more.
1: Peniel, P-E-N-I-E-L. That sounds him. really right. So it's, there you go. It's, in essence, it means the face of God. Yep. So, that's kind of the short answer that I have. Yeah, I think I short. mean, and so I, because I'm looking at it right now, um the context of the passage and I think you got to you got to realize a couple things. Um and the first is he he's getting ready to make, meet Esau like it, at the very beginning of chapter 32 all the way to the first 23 verse talks about this. He sends everything he has across the brook across the way and he's left alone and so there's there is some kind of angst happening. There is some kind of um turmoil. I mean, I think of uh, Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane and the agony that he's wrestling with uh, about what's coming. And so I think Jacob has an idea of what he, how he thinks something's going to play out. And so I could, I could see him petitioning God a little bit, like praying Mm to God, like, God, I need your favor. I need your blessing need your protection. Like, don't let me die. Or uh, he's crying out to God in anguish of some sort. And then, and then God shows up in the form of this angel in the form of this man. Um, and, and it just shows this wrestling match. And so I think, um, I almost want to say he shows up because there there's a moment of anguish. Jacob mm-hmm. is not excited. He is not thrilled to see his brother because he's afraid that Esau is going to retaliate and take everything of his. Um, you even see it when Jacob sends a, a a procession ahead of ahead of him and his his families and the way he he orchestrates and 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 uh, methodically or, uh, travels to to see Esau. So I think that's part of it. I think Jacob in the anguish crying out to the Lord, uh, God shows up and they fight and they wrestle. Right. And um Jake, and you know, Jacob doesn't have a clue yet. He knows it's someone, but they start this exchange. And so I, I think that's part of it. That's why it is probably where it is and how it played out the way it played out mm-hmm. is because there is there is some anguish. There's no way I don't think that Jacob like, oh okay I'm gonna see my brother, whatever. Like this is the brother that I deceived. Right. I stole his birthright. I, you know, for a bowl of soup. I like I manipulated him. Like, yeah, I could die tomorrow, <laughs> and <laughs> so, so I could see him crying out to God for sure. So and definitely to modern ears,
0: I, I do agree with your question. It does seem like it just comes out of left field because it it's totally like, does. Yeah. I've I've never just seen a stranger and decided like, let's, wrestle. let's fight. So there you go. Put them up, uh, man. We're running over on time today, but no, that's what happens when you talk about the Bible. Good thing. This next question is a really easy one. Uh, just kidding. So it says, uh, hi, <laughs> yes, I love it. Aaron and Evan. Here's a question for let's read the Bible is actually a thought that goes through my head. Every time that I read through the battles between Israel and the cities or countries that they conquer while claiming the promised land, it's hard to stomach the slaughtering of innocent people, including women and children can you give me any insight to this uh, so that I can see it more from God's perspective? And then she, uh, she says, thank you for all the time you put into the podcast. I really appreciate it. So thank you for those words. Yes, so that absolutely. does It does mean a lot when people reach out and uh, express their appreciation for, for the podcast.
1: I would say this real quick is yeah. I don't know if we're going to be able to adequately take God's perspective on this. Um, it it's, a heartbreaking. Much,
0: yeah, it's a much larger conversation than we're going to fit into like the next five minutes. Yeah.
1: But. And, um, I, I would, so I, I don't, I want to be careful uh, because I don't want to speak on behalf of God on this. Um, But it is, it is heartbreaking. You're right. It is to see, um, to see genocide and see, you know, the innocent killed and women and children, all of that jazz. So, um, but we've got to be really careful (laughs) to to want to speak on behalf of God. And it's not our position to do that on this podcast, but uh, there are some thoughts I think we can offer and some thoughts that we think we can give. Um, Yeah. So, yeah, obviously this is, um,
0: we talk about open-handed and closed-handed issues. This isn't something that's definitively God's just saying, here's exactly why um, I did all those things. That one would be awesome yeah, if he did. But. One really helpful resource that I found uh, is an article on a website called the Gospel Coalition, which is also just it's a phenomenal.
1: Yeah. Great website, website great organization um, would totally recommend uh, yeah. the, TGC.
0: And really it's, yeah, it's a lot of pastors um, and just theologians and Mm -hmm. they just write content. So it's really great. Um, But the article is called, How Could God Command Genocide in the Old Testament? So if you just Google, How Could God Command Genocide in the Old Testament, TGC, it'll come up for you. Um, But here's a couple of the thoughts that the author, and I was going to say his name, but my internet is frozen, so I can't uh, get to his name, but it was really, it was really great author that I wish I could give credit to. Um, but here's a couple of thoughts that he brings up that I think are really good for us to think about. Um, As the maker of all things and the ruler of all people, God has absolute rights and ownership over people and places. Um, and so really the idea there is part of the thinking for God's perspective is that there are things that are, are, more, that are morally wrong for me to do to someone that are not wrong for God, if that makes sense, and so the way that uh, that humans interact with other humans is is different from the way that God interacts with mm-hmm. humans, and that's not to say that God doesn't love uh, His creation. That's not to say all those things different happen, but um, you do have to keep in mind and and not see the actions of God through the lens of uh, of the morality of man. Mm-hmm. I guess if that makes sense. Uh, the second one is God is not only the ultimate maker, ruler, and owner but he is just and righteous in all that he does. And so this is kind of more of a, uh, it's really a faith statement. Mm-hmm. And so it's kind of the idea of there are going to be things that are hard to stomach, um, particularly for our culture um, in our modern mind. And, a hundred, 200 years from now, or in different parts of the world right now, um, there's different parts of the Bible. Like the, I don't, I, I can't think of an example, but I'm sure there's parts of the world where those passages don't really bother the people, but there's other passages that we kind of just in, in American culture take for granted that other people struggle with. Um, and that's just that's just kind of the way that the, that's just kind of the way that the Bible is. Mm-hmm. Bible's complicated. Um, there's a lot of things in the Bible that maybe we don't fully get to understand right now. And that maybe just sound completely foreign to us. Um, But that is where we just kind of have to trust in the righteousness of God and the decisions that he makes Mm -hmm. Um, this next one. And I think is a really good, just kind of reminder. Uh, It's going to sound really stings a little, it's going to sound really bleak, but But it needs uh, needs to be said. Yep. All of us deserves God. All of us deserve God's justice. None of us deserve
1: God's mercy. Um, And so, Again, that sounds and, really and I would dark. Stop and think about that statement before there's ever a reaction to it, because my initial reaction to it is like, Psh, screw that. I'm a good person. Um, but it's it's a true statement and it's one to, to always remember.
0: Yeah. And if, if we're going by, um, remember, it, it kind of fits into what we just said with John the Baptist, where he says, you know, among men, no one has been born greater than these, mm-hmm. um, but the least of those in the kingdom of heaven is greater. Um, and the idea there is if we're just, if we're going by what we deserve because of what we've done, there's not a person in the world who does not deserve death and hell. Um, that's just, that's just the way it is. The beauty of sin. Yeah. And, and the beauty of Christianity and and the work of Christ is not that now we can be good people and we can earn our salvation and we can deserve it. But the, the beauty of Christianity is that in spite of the fact that we don't deserve it, um, God offers us, Yeah. Um, I almost said justice, that's not the right word, but God offers us mercy. Yeah. God offers us grace. Um, and so I think that's a really important thing to keep in mind, um, to, particularly when you're thinking through just like some of the stories in the Old Testament. Um, and then finally, and this is kind of just an interesting, just for historical context, uh, the Canaanites were enemies of God who deserved to be punished, was kind of one of the author's um, things that he brought up. But I think a lot of the times we kind of view... Um, The Canaanites is just kind of being, well, they're really peaceful people and they're not doing anything. And then God's just like, well, the Israelites need a home. And so I'm going to go here Out with you. Yeah. Out with these guys, whatever. Um, But first off, the Bible is really clear that I, I, I should have written down what passage it was. It's in the article. Um, but the, the passage is basically that the, the land of Israel is being given to the Israelites, not just because of the Israelites, but it's because the wickedness of the Canaanites. Mm -hmm. Um, and we know that things like child sacrifice were being practiced. We know that, um, there's just really some horrible things. There's constant war, constant battle. Um, this isn't a situation again, where there's just a lot of peaceful, innocent people and all of a sudden they're expelled, but there really does seem to be, um, God knowing that to make Israel work. Um, and to, to, to have his covenant be with people on earth that the people who were there before had to be completely a sponge yeah. from, uh, from the record. And I'll, so that, and that's just kind of just a few things, um, to keep in mind. Uh, I'd also just, I oh, what were you we gonna say anything?
1: Here? Well, I was, just, I was just gonna say, um, for a minute, I think, think it was apparent. I mean. Yeah. And I've heard it said from different pastors and communicators at different times, like someone breaks into my house and tries to take it, like, I'm, I'm going to protect my kids at all costs. Um, and and these were God's people that he was aiming to protect. And he knew that if he let the Canaanites and let these people live in, in the world, that they would, they would take them away from yeah. worshiping and from relationship. And, uh, and, and I want to be careful because I don't think that that's a, f- a fully fair answer, but I think it is something to give us a glimpse into God's heartbeat for people. Right. Um, and And at the end of the day, like we got to be careful to put and project our understanding of what's right and wrong and demand that God live according to it when he's the one that sets the standard, Uh, which goes back to one of the, you know, God is the maker of all things and the ruler of all people. He has absolute rights and ownership over all the people and places. Um, And it goes like, it's just, and so I I just think we have to be really careful to, we have to trust in God's character, not in his actions, Um, because his character is, is, is it, not not in our understanding of his actions, let me clarify that. Um, because his character is is good, his character right. is just, his character is is merciful, um, he is patient like crazy with all of us. And so uh it's hard because it's not easy answers by any means right. for sure. So
0: the, the final thought I'll it's have a good question though. Yeah, the final thought I wanted to share. Um, man, we're almost at we're at 50 minutes right now. Sweet. Holy
1: cow. Thanks for sticking with us. Um, this but, is what happens when we ch- shift modes in a, in a podcast and we just want to talk about the Bible instead of like, yeah. robot. and that was the thing with Evan and I, just to be transparent. We wanted to have conversation right. around the Bible, not just talk about a reading plan. So, so hopefully you enjoy it. If not, we'll change back to the yeah, way. And you know no feedback.
0: Feedback is always welcome, please. Uh, but I was listening to a Tim please Keller, stop. a Tim Keller message. And he was saying, uh, I'm, I'm paraphrasing because I don't remember the exact quote, but if we believe that the Bible is above culture. So in other words, if we mm. believe that as, a, as people, we need to set aside our cultural um, presuppositions when we come to scripture and truly latch on to what God says, then by necessity, the Bible will always have something offensive for every culture um, because the Bible's not American the Bible is not written for an American culture. The Bible, God is not an American. Uh, So so, sorry. Um, So, and it, it kind of looks like what I said earlier, but, Every culture is going to have parts of the Bible that they find yeah. offensive for like, for us as Americans, you know, love your neighbor as yourself. True. We're not offended by that. Other cultures w- will be.
1: Absolutely. Would um,
0: be. And then there's things, that we're f- that there's things that we wrestle with that we find offensive um, that other cultures do too. And I yeah. would say really, it just comes down to the faith of God. I don't fully understand why this is good, but I know um, that you are just. That you were righteous, and that the way that you the way that you did things is is ultimately good. So there you go. That's kind of I don't know if that that helps, um, but hopefully that's a little bit of uh, thoughts for you, uh, and just kind of wrap it up today. Uh, just a quick reminder: we're a podcast of the Grove Church, but we're not the only podcast of the Grove Church. You can find all of our other resources at our website at grove.church. Um, and if you've been enjoying uh, the podcast, do us a favor: leave us a review. Uh, write one out too, because those kind of count for more. But yeah, it just helps, sure. yeah. It just helps to grow the podcast to get it out there to more and more people. Um, and it's been really fun too, just to see communities beyond Washington uh, being able to be involved. With it. So yeah, shout out to Texas and, and California, so thank you.
1: Kentucky yeah, too, I think.
0: Yeah, there's some good, uh, some people who listen pretty uh, frequently there. So, anyways, uh, with that being said, we're gonna dive into the book of Jonah
1: next week. Next week. Not right now. Next week. Yep. Have see a good then.